the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's a piece yours truly hosted that I trust you will enjoy. Joined by CNN anchor and chief national security correspondent Jim Shuto. Uh, he has a brand new book out. I'm holding it up if you're watching on HughHewitt.com called The Shadow War, Inside Russia's and China's Secret Operations to Defeat America. The Shadow War is bracing. It's necessary. It is surprising to many people, not me, hardline. Jim Shuto, welcome. Good to have you. Congratulations. How is the shadow war faring out there? First of all, thanks very much. It's always good to, to, to talk to you, Hugh. Listen, this is a war that China and Russia have been waging on the U.S. and the West for many years now, more than a decade, and it has taken U.S. leaders of uh, both parties, frankly, uh, time to, to become aware of it, and they're just beginning to debate a strategy to respond. And through the years, one thing that struck me is that, and again, U.S. officials of, of administrations of both parties persisted in something of a delusion about Russia and China, uh, that they want what we want, that they want to be welcomed into a rules-based international order, etc., that if you welcome China into the WTO, they will change for the better over time. If you welcome Russia into a cooperation agreement with NATO, they will change over time, when in reality, they have very different priorities and they have very big ambitions. They will both want to return, uh, in their perception, to their rightful place uh, on the international stage, uh, perhaps even surpassing the U.S. That is certainly China's goal. Uh, and to do that, they see as it being necessary to bring down the United States on multiple fronts at the same time. It's called the Thucydides Trap by academics. I like your clarity, Jim Shudo. And in the Shadow War, I'm going to jump to page 249 for people who are following along in their copies of the Shadow War. By the way, Jim, do you know the Luntz rule? You've got to say the, the name of the book seven times in every segment or no one buys the book. So I always say Shadow War a number of times. Did you uh, say repeat the name Shadow War, Shadow War? Okay, I'm Yeah, that's it. That Shadow advice. War, Shadow War. And that, <laughs> it, it's just Luntz taught me that years ago, and I use it with every author. Here's page 249. Are Russia and China winning the Shadow War, Jim Show asks. On the battlefields described in this book, they have occupied new territory, inflicted damage on U.S. and allied forces, and acquired spoils of war, often in the form of stolen national security. Secrets. Russia still controls Crimea and large portions of eastern Ukraine. China still controls its man-made islands in the South China Sea and is expanding its military presence there. Russia and China have successfully deployed and tested anti-satellite weapons that threaten U.S. assets in space. China's theft of U.S. state secrets and private sector intellectual property has not decreased in effectiveness. Both Russia and China have demonstrated the capability to penetrate U.S. political parties and election systems for the purposes of interfering in the U.S. political process with with worrisome implications, and it goes on and on. I mean, Jim, you are not sugarcoating this in the least. No, because I'll tell you, I spoke to former and current uh, U.S. defense officials, intelligence officials, submarine commanders under the Arctic. I, I, I deployed on a submarine. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, can't believe that. <laughs> it's but, so good. 
surveillance airplane over China, um, NSA Operation Threat Center. And the way they are talking about it is that this war is a clear and present danger. It is happening today. They're fighting it. Some of them, frankly, are, are, are disappointed and demoralized that their leaders are not fighting it or providing the leadership they feel they need to fight that war. And I'll tell you, I think that Americans are generally aware uh, of some of these battlefields, but not all of them. When I talk to folks and say that Russia and China have deployed kamikaze satellites in space, kidnapper satellites, China has a satellite with a grappling arm that can grab U.S. satellites out of orbit to disable us. Uh, folks aren't aware of that. And I think that the other thing is that oftentimes people don't connect the dots between all these fronts and see that there's a consistent strategy here. And it's striking because Russia and China are two very different countries, different histories, cultures, you name it. But they have a similar strategy. The Russians call it the Jarosimov Doctrine, named after a, a general uh, there who articulated this in an essay a few years ago. The Chinese call it winning without fighting. A and part of the brilliance of it is that they make a judgment as to how far they can push the envelope while not sparking a U.S. military response. And they've been pretty good about judging that. Interfere right. in an election, invade Ukraine, manufacture territory in the South China Sea, steal U.S. trade secrets for decades. Invent the nine-dash line, which I'll come back to. I'm talking with Jim Shudo, CNN anchor and national security correspondent. Uh, Jim, I want to stay on the, on the Arctic for a second. I am impressed that they let you on to the submarine. I'm, I'm, in, I'm impressed that you convey uh, the proximity and intimacy of that experience as well and what our sailors under the seas work with and work under. But I want to focus on the fact that it's not just the Russians, though they have many more icebreakers than we have. Under the sea, it's the Russians and the Chinese, and a yep. lot of this new war is being fought under the sea. Absolutely. And and they, you know, it's interesting. So, so Russia let its surface navy fall to pieces after the collapse of the Soviet Union. They, they always kept their sub-forces in pretty good shape. And in recent years, they've deployed two entirely new classes of both ballistic missile sub and attack submarine, because they see this as a way that they could level the playing field with the U.S. Same with China. They're not going to manufacture 12 aircraft carriers in a day, but they've made enormous advances in diesel electric submarines that are very quiet. And, you know, I would think, you know, Hollywood sees the future often years before we see it. When you think Hunt for Red October, it's not quite the Caterpillar drive, but they have quieter subs. And, and the reason to have that is so that you can show up off the U.S. coastline with a nuclear deterrent without warning. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's their plan. Now, the U.S. is trying to stay ahead of that. They say they can still by and large, track these submarines, but they're losing the advantage. And the, and the reason they're doing live fire exercises, which I was on under the Arctic on a U.S. nuclear attack sub, is because they want to stay sharp. But they will tell you, when you speak to those commanders, they'll tell you directly, if we don't stay ahead of the game, if we don't build subs, if we don't build more advanced subs, we're going to lose that advantage. And we're going to lose the advantage of, of the ultimate deterrent, which is the boomer. The Columbia class is technically on schedule. I mean, it's supposed to roll off, but nothing really ever follows in the order that it does. And the Navy always finds a way to extend the Ohio class, et cetera. But it does. I think your, your focus on undersea warfare is probably, well, there are a lot of important parts of the shadow war. Let me go to page 136. The Far Seas, capital F, capital S, the Far Seas will be the next battlefield in the Shadow War. For now, the Shadow War is being fought in the Near Seas, which is already a direct challenge to U.S. military influence in the region, influence the United States has maintained for decades. Can you explain for the Steelers fans out there, Jim Shudo, the difference between the Far Seas and the Near Seas? So China, from early on, it, it focuses on kind of concentric circles of influence. First, it wanted to you know, get control over the China 
Chinese mainland, did that over the course of years. Then it wanted to extend its power out to what they call the first island chain. That's basically Taiwan, uh, you know, fr- from uh, the, the Koreas down through Taiwan. W- when they talk, those are the near seas, in effect. But notice what China has done in the last couple of years. There's a reason they have a navy base in Sri Lanka, right? That's the far seas. That's a way, you know, that's a continent away from China. There's a reason that they have a base now in Djibouti, where the U.S. also happens to have a base in north, in northeast Africa, so that they could project military power far beyond their shores. Now, listen, you talk, you talk to the Chinese, and they say. You guys do the same thing. Why can't we? We have economic interests in Africa, Africa and the subcontinent. We want to defend those interests. The thing, of course, is that, that th- those areas of influence come into conflict with, with America's area of influence. And, you know, it's, it's the old historical thing about a rising power encountering an existing power. We've seen this movie before, you know, and, and a lot of the folks I talk to say is do not make the mistake of the 1930s. And listen, they're not saying we're in 1939, but they do say there's wisdom in avoiding the mistake of the 1930s, which is which is placing false limits on your adversary's ambitions. I was both with, China um, and Russia have grand ambitions. I was in Congressman Jim Banks' office yesterday. He is an advocate of a 450-ship Navy. Congressman Mike Gallagher comes on this show almost weekly. He's an advocate of at least 355. I don't know that we're in an appeasement era right now because the defense budget is back out of the sequestration, but sequestration really did hurt us, and especially during a period of time when the Chinese were out there establishing the nine-dash line. Now, I've used that without preparing the audience for it. Would you explain to people what the nine-dash line is? So this is a line, you know, typically your your interests, you know, economic zone goes a couple hundred miles off your coast, right? So, so what China did, is, and, and they drew this soon after the revolution in 19- 1949. They kind of made it up, but but they they extended their uh, with nine dashes on a map to extend their influence down right up to the coast of the Philippines, which the U.S. of course has a mutual defense agreement with, down into the South China Sea, hundreds of miles from the Chinese shoreline, in the process claiming little bits of land, uh, little reefs here and there, an island there, saying that this is historical Chinese territory, and we claim that as, as ours. And that's why they've built unsinkable aircraft carriers in the South China Sea, many hundreds of miles from their shores. These are new islands there that have since been militarized. They claim them as their rightful territory. And why do we care? Beyond the fact that it breaks international law and so on, is that's right through some of the most lucrative shipping lanes in the world. Um, there's a potential effect there, and the U.S. is concerned about it. In the shadow war, you're, you're drawing on your experience of two years of serving as the chief of staff to the ambassador to the PRC. I am a Nixonian realist. Heck, I'm taking over the Nixon Foundation in July because I believe in pragmatic realism. I think that's vanished, Jim. We have a minute, and I hope you can stay for the next segment. We have a minute. Do you think that there is a a dawning generally in elites, especially in the media, that we've got to get back to seriousness about superpower competition? I think it's beginning. It's certainly in the national security infrastructure. You spoke, speak to folks in the Defense Department, the intelligence agencies. You don't hear it enough on Capitol Hill. You hear it to some degree. Uh, that's all fine, because you're kind of behind the game on that already. This is the reality today. The question is, how do you respond? And, and that's what is lacking here, articulating a national U.S. strategy to respond to both Russia and China on all of these fronts. On the superpower competition side, I just don't think 
there are many Jim Shudos running around. And we got 30 seconds to the break. I just don't think there are many people who, uh, there's Courtney Kluby, uh, Kuby, and there's a bunch of other people. Kevin Barron does a fine job. But there just isn't the defense in depth in the media who understand this stuff. Well, you know, we're, we're trying. And I, what I try to do is I spent years on the ground in these places, uh, covering Russia, covering China, uh, you know, including, as you mentioned, a stint inside government. And what I try to do in the book is connect the dots here. There are lots of dots. Like I said earlier, people are aware of some of the dots, but not all of them. And perhaps what we're not talking about enough publicly is that those dots form a strategy that threatens U.S. interests and, and that, that brings us a war today that today the U.S. is losing. Jim, in the couple of minutes left to us, I want to cover two things that I, uh, people just need to know about. The war in space and the war on cyber. They may be aware of Russia's attacking our election, but they have no idea how deeply penetrated our, our cyber networks are in the United States. And I bet you not one in 10,000 Americans know about the war in space. Take, take the floor for a couple of minutes. Fair enough. So first, I'll start with cyber. I spent time in the NSA's uh, Threat Operations Center. That's where they lead the fight against daily cyber attacks. And, and I was in there, and I asked uh, the folks, and what's a quiet, calm room? I said, so how many attacks do you see a day? I thought I was going to hear them say dozens, uh, and they said thousands. This is the pace of attacks today, and that's Russia, it's China, but it's also North Korea and Iran. Uh, most of them not successful, uh, but it's the few that get through, uh, and they have already exposed vulnerabilities in our most critical infrastructure, certainly our political infrastructure, C-2016 and 2018, but also access to water treatment plants, access to electric grids, telecommunications networks that China and Russia have not yet deployed, but in the event of a war or an escalation, they can't. They can make the lights flicker in New York, as, as it were, and that's a real concern. But it's the space side that I think folks are only just coming to be aware of. There are lasers in space, directed energy weapons uh, on the surface of the Earth and in space that, that can blind or fry U.S. satellites. There are weaponized satellites in space. Russia and China have both deployed what, what U.S. Space Command refers to as kamikaze satellites that can maneuver up to precious U.S. space assets, ram them if necessary, but also steal data from them or, or tinker with them to disable them. China has repeatedly tested a satellite that can lift a satellite out of or orbit, moonraker style. Okay, again, it's you know, wild. Hollywood's wild. ahead of the game. And why is that? Because we depend on space assets. U.S. military su superiority, the reasons our smart bombs can hit targets anywhere, is because of GPS guidance systems. Uh, the reason troops on the ground that I've been embedded with have a laptop with them that can spot a bad guy on the other side of a wall is because of satellite technology. And our enemies know we have it and are dependent on it and can conceivably take that away from us. And when you speak to U.S. commanders, they say we'd have to go back to, to fighting like we did in the Civil War. And we're not prepared to do that. And then there's a civilian side of it because you and I depend on satellite technology more than folks realize. Yeah, yeah we know you need GPS to find your way, you know, when you're lost. But did you know that financial transactions use timestamps from GPS. So the financial markets wouldn't operate without it if China and Russia were to take them out. Then, of course, there's nuclear early warning. You take one of those it's four satellites out, and we don't see the nukes coming. 
It is a much-needed alarm bell in the night. The Shadow War by Jim Shudo. Jim, I know you got to go do your other job. Thank you so much for joining me. The Shadow War is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, bookstores everywhere. You will be much smarter, better informed for it. And I'm not surprised that it is hardline as it is because it's a reporter's book. It is actually reported stories on where we are in national defense posture right now and where we need to be, which is at a 450-ship fleet. But let's get to 355 first. Thank you to Jim Shudo. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.